bring you greetings this morning in the name of our captain, the Lord Jesus Christ. Turning your Bibles to Mark chapter 14 again. Last time I shared, I talked about the consequences in a negative way of not having Jesus as our Lord, and especially as I think of the maritime uh, illustrations we're looking at as our captain. And that's why I greet you this morning in his name. And I, I used Mark 14 as a springboard for that sermon, and I'd like to go back to Mark 14. There's an interesting expression that Jesus left with his disciples there that I, I'd like to go back and, and build my, my sermon on this morning. <clears throat> Mark chapter 14, and uh, I want to read verses 26 through verse 32. Mark 14, verse 26. And when they had sung an hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, That this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I pray. The phrase I like to, to uh, pick out of these verses is the phrase that Jesus said in verse 28. He said, I will go before you into Galilee. And uh, I want to uh, look at these verses a uh, number of interesting things that I see in these verses as I, I think about Jesus as our captain. Uh, again, drawing uh, a maritime illustration for our sermon here this morning. And uh, we all need someone to go before us. And uh, Jesus is rising to that occasion. And he actually was uh, giving the disciples, I believe, that promise to hold to number of things I want to draw your attention to here. Going to verse 26, it says, And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Now, they had just observed the, uh, the Last Supper there. Jesus had blessed the bread, and uh, they had shared together, drank the cup there. And then they went out, and they had sung in him, and they went out into the Mount of Olives. Um, it's very likely the tradition would have been that they would have, uh, would have sang uh, Psalms uh, 115 uh, through 118, or at least portions of it perhaps. I, if your Bible center column has that uh, in or not, I'm not sure, but that's uh, what Bible uh, scholars would have us to uh, understand, that very likely that those Psalms there, Psalm 115 through 118, would have been either in its entirety or portions of it, what they would have sang, perhaps, in that hymn that they sang. And, uh, you know, here is Jesus facing a very, very dark experience in his life, facing rejection, facing uh, uh, death, physical death, and the forces of evil being pressed in close to him, even from his closest associates through Judas. We talked about him last time specifically. And, and then to sing this hymn. And uh, another interesting thing in verse 26, it says they went out into the Mount of Olives. And I was told that uh, that was an unusual experience, that they would have went out after eating the Passover supper. A good, 
Jehu would not have went out that night because of the danger of the death angel or in respect. Of course, in Egypt, they were not allowed to, to leave. They had the blood post, the blood sprinkled on the lintel and the doorposts, and they were, you know, that was their, their mark of security and safety. And, uh, but here's Jesus, the conqueror over death, going forth from that uh, safety of that structure and going out into the uh, Mount of Olives and... Uh, he goes forth not in fear, but in, 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 uh, in power and strength to conquer death. And, uh, and we'll follow as we follow the communication there with his disciples. He, he clearly gives them a hope of victory that, you know, after I am risen, I will go before you. Notice in verse 27, he says, Jesus said unto them, All ye shall be offended. You know, how lonely, how disappointing Christ you know, and Christ knew this before, all along, that they would all desert him. And, uh, and yet he welcomed them in as his disciples. And I believe it, it reminds me of the, the psalmist David's expression, that he remembers our frame, that we are dust, and yet he's accepting of us. And uh, he describes them as a small flock. He says, uh, uh, it uses a prophetic expression there. He says, for it is written, going back to the Old Testament, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And I think, as he said that, I can just picture him looking into the eyes of each one of the disciples that were there. I, I believe Judas was probably gone at this point. But uh, knowing that even those that were, and even Peter, who was attesting his commitment to him, that here is one that is, is going to be so, so severely tried that he is going to re- deny him, even in his uh, self-confidence. I like Matthew Henry's quote uh, on verse uh, 27. He says, Now the storm would be so great that they would all slip their anchor and be in danger of shipwreck. And I thought that was, I like that expression of Matthew Henry's because it fits my maritime illustration. So he's saying, Here's this small flock of my disciples, and the storm that is being pressed in upon them because of the forces of evil. And uh, God allowing it to happen so that redemption and salvation could be brought to mankind. Yet, they in their own strength were not going to be able, strong enough to withstand it. And they will be scattered. They will, be the ship, they will experience shipwreck in their relationship as a group of disciples. And uh, fortunately, uh, they were brought back together again after the resurrection. But looking at more closely at verse 28... You know, after Jesus described that, after Jesus told them about that, he gives them that promise in verse 28. He says, but after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. And as I I read that, as I thought about that, as I meditated on that verse, I thought, you know, what were the disciples thinking? Uh, I will go before you into Galilee? Uh, Of course, they they didn't know how close his... his, uh, his crucifixion was, they didn't know how close he was at that point to death. And, uh, you know, none of us know that. The disciples didn't know that. They, uh, you know, he had tried to teach them, instruct them, and it seemed they, you know, they glossed over that. It, even this thought here in verse 28, it seems like they do not uh, grasp the, the, the depth of what Jesus was telling them. That uh, even though this experience we're going through here tonight and in the next following several days, is going to be less than what you had anticipated and experienced. There is hope beyond that. And uh, 
I, the reason I deduct that is because in verse 29, you know where Peter was at? He was still back a couple of thoughts behind Jesus. When Jesus shared that promise in verse 28, he was still, still back where, where Jesus told him, he said, you're going to deny me thrice tonight. Uh, well, actually, Jesus clarified there in verse 30, but G, uh, Peter was back in verse 27. He says, oh, you shall be offended. And I think Peter actually took offense to that, him being included with all the others. You know, and, you know I don't care what the rest do, but I'm going to be true to you, Lord. And uh, so Peter was back there in verse 27. And there's a truth in that, uh, that I think a lesson that we need to learn. Uh, you know, as I, as I meditated on that, I thought, okay, so we're, we're through the crucifixion. We're through the resurrection. But what are we, what are we facing today? We're facing the, re, re, the, the return of our Lord again. And are there some truths and, and promises that God has left us in His Word that we ought to be focusing on rather than, than being distracted by perhaps some other little details about our experiences in life? Uh, and that was a powerful thought to me as I thought about that. You know, could I err in the same way that Peter did perhaps? Jesus has shared some truth and we get distracted by some little sideline details when I ought to be embracing a, a promise that, that will stay the course in my relationship with Jesus Christ when the storms of life, when I encounter the storms of life, that that will give me an anchor to hold to. Well, as I mentioned before, we all need someone to go before us. I don't know if you're aware of it or not. As I, as I thought about that illustration from a maritime perspective, in, in shipping, there's uh, a thing that is known as a harbor pilot. And uh, a harbor pilot is a, a boat pilot with a specialized knowledge of a particular port or harbor. The pilot is needed to direct large ships into port where there are specific deep water channels surrounded perhaps by shallower flats. Without services of these harbor pilots, docking ships would become hazardous. There would be a real chance of running aground and damaging the ship and the cargo. In most cases, and I notice this, I thought this was interesting, in most cases becoming a har harbor pilot requires no specific type of degree, only a great deal of experience and local knowledge that is only gained through practice. And I thought that was impressive. So, so just put that in the back of your mind as we look through Jesus as our captain, and as we are plowing through the seas of life, and we are docked into port sometimes, uh, Jesus has experienced everything that you and I will ever experience in life. And he is qualified to, to, to uh, bring us into port safely. Some harbor pilots may specialize in certain types of ship. For example, some may be skilled at bringing in large freighters. Others may specialize in helping military ships through treacherous waters. Some may even be employed to help large passenger cruise ships. The harbor pilot, in order to be successful, must be comfortable with whatever ship he is operating. Even the slightest mistakes could lead to disastrous consequences. In addition to the shallow flats, the currents are another danger to deal with when bringing ships into port. During different tides, currents may be calm or change from one direction to the other. Outstanding Understanding how the tide affects these currents is a key in any harbor. The same strategy for docking a vessel during an incoming tide may not work during an outgoing tide. 
Thus the harbor pilot must keep this in mind when working in the harbor. Often the harbor pilot may have adverse weather conditions which, with which to deal as well. Just as currents may affect the movements of a large ship, the wind can also significantly alter the direction of the ship and how it reacts. Windy conditions are very common around ports and harbors. Often the wind will change directions during the course of the day, adding another variable, adding another variable and a pilot must deal with it. Now, there's another phrase here. In most cases, the harbor pilot will also, ver- will also work very closely with the harbor master. The harbor master is in charge of law enforcement customs issues as well as determining which ships dock in what locations. Thus, the pilot seeking the best situation for his or her client will often try to keep a good working relationship with the harbor master. And I thought that was a good illustration because Jesus certainly uh, is well acquainted with the harbor master. I like to think of the harbor master as being God. He is the son of God, but yet he was willing to become uh, the son of man so that he could relate to us and bring us safely into into port. I uh, Last Sunday, we didn't have church Sunday morning, I, I picked this, this book off my bookshelf, and uh, this is an old book. I think it was uh, uh, copyrighted in the year the Titanic uh, sank. And uh, I'm just blessed as I, I read some of this. There's, I want to read the dedication in the front of this book. It says, To the 1,635 souls who were lost with the ill-fated Titanic, and especially to those Hirak men who, instead of trying to save themselves, stood aside that women and children might have their chance. Of each of them, let it be written as it was written of a greater one. He died that others might live. And that was the dedication in this book. In the front of this book, there's a, a consolation written to the survivors of the Titanic by Dr. Van Dyke. I don't just want to read uh, some of this. The Titanic, greatest of ships, has gone to her ocean grave. What has she left behind? Think clearly. She has left debts. Vast sums of money have been lost. Some of them are covered by insurance, which would be paid. The rest is gone. All wealth really is insecurable. She has left, however, lessons. The risk of running the northern course, which is meanest by icebergs, is revealed. The cruelty of sending a ship to sea without enough lifeboats and life rafts to hold her company is exhibited on her land in black. She has left sorrows. Hundreds of human hearts and hounds are mourning for the loss of dear companions and friends. The universal sympathy, which is written in every face and heard in every voice, provides that man is more than the beasts that perish. It is an evidence of the divine in humanity. Why should we care? There is no reason in the world unless there is something in us that is different from time, different from the lime and the carbon phosphorus, something that makes us mortals able to suffer together. For we have all of us a human heart. But there is more than this harvest of debts and lessons and sorrows in the tragedy of the sinking of the Titanic. There is a great ideal. It is clearly outlined and set before the mind and the heart of the modern, modern world to approve and follow or to despise and reject. It was a statement. That was heralded over the sinking Titanic, women and children first. Whatever happened on that dreadful April night among the Arctic ice, certainly that was the order given by the brave and steadfast captain. Certainly that was the law obeyed by the man on the doomed ship, but why? There is no statute or enactment of any nation to enforce such an order. There is no trace of such a rule to be found in the history of ancient civilizations. There is no authority for it among the heathen races today. I'm told on a Chinese ship, if we may believe the report of an official representative, the rule would have been different. Men first, children next, and women last. 
There is certainly no argument against his barbaric rule on physical or material grounds. On the average, a man is stronger than a woman. He is worth more than a woman. He has a longer prospect of life than a woman. There is no reason in all the range of physical and economic science, no reason in all the philosophy of the superman why he should give his place in the lifeboat to a woman. Where then does this rule which prevailed in the sinking Titanic come from? It comes from God through the faith of Jesus of Nazareth. It is the ideal of self-sacrifice. It is the rule that the strong ought to bear the infirmities of those that are weak. It is the divine revelation which is summed up in the words, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. It needs a tragic catastrophe like the wreck of the Titanic to bring out the absolute contradiction between this ideal and the counsels of the materialism and self-expediency. It is not to say that the germ of this ideal may not be found in other religions. It is not to say that they are against it. I do not, I do not ask any man to accept my theology, which grows shorter and simpler as I grow older, unless his heart leads him to it. But this I say, the ideal of the strength of the strong is given them to protect and to save the weak. The ideal which animates the rule of women and children first is in essential harmony with the spirit of Christ. If what he said about our Father in heaven is true, this ideal is supremely reasonable. Otherwise, it is hard to find arguments for it. The tragedy of facts sets the question clearly before us. Think about it. Is this ideal to survive and prevail in our civilization or not? Without it, no doubt, we may have riches and power and dominion, but what a world to live in. Only through the belief that the strong are bound to protect and to save the weak because God wills it so can we hope to keep sacrifice and love and heroism and all the things that make us glad to live and not afraid to die. Henry Van Dyke, April 18, 1912. Well, I thought that was a good expression uh, as we focus on the hope that God gives to us and our relation to that hope. Uh, just a couple other incidents uh, about the Titanic. Captain E.J. Smith, he was, he, was, he was a maritime captain. He was the captain of the Titanic. And uh, according to his uh, collegians, he was certainly qualified, capable. And he actually was not at the helm when the Titanic hit the iceberg. I think First Officer... Uh, Murdoch was uh, actually piloting the ship at the time, and uh, Smith was in the uh, navigational chart room. And uh, but you know, a very, very it's a, a very tragic, iconic experience in history that we we relate to. Uh, Seven hundred five lives were saved, and uh, uh, you know there was sixteen hundred some lost, and there was uh, the ship sank in like two hundred two and a half hours or something like that. But uh, so very, very tragic. One of the things that, uh, and as I, I thought about that and the uh, um, verses here in Mark chapter 14, Jesus going out and, and singing a hymn, and that's another thing that I always uh, remembered about the account was the fact that the band played uh, music as that ship was going down. And there's testimonies of survivors in that book. Uh, I always thought it was the, the hymn, Nearer My God to Thee, and they said that was played. But they said there was another hymn, um, if I can find it here, that was actually played. It was an Episcopal hymn. I was going to see if uh, it's a hymn in the Episcopal hymnal entitled... Uh, Autumn. 
And uh, they said that was actually the last hymn that was, that was played as a ship tipped up on end and slipped beneath the surface. I'd like to just uh, uh, think about that aspect. You know, what, what prompted those musicians to play in, in, that, in the face of that catastrophe? And uh, you look at Jesus' experience here, facing death, going out and singing a hymn. And so I just Googled, okay, what's, what's the... What's the effect between singing and, and facing something bigger than life, if you know what I mean by that? And uh, you can do it if you want to. There is a scientific connection, believe it or not, between uh, the way our brain relates to singing and music, uh, and our brain has the ability to uh, affect our emotions and our mood. And uh, it's too lengthy, and I don't understand it, but... Uh, uh, it is, there is a direct connection between that and uh, the fact that the band played those songs, uh, Near My God to Thee. And I want to read the one that, they, uh, that the survivors seemingly unanimously agree was the very last song. It's the uh, hymn that's found in the Episcopal Hymnal. Uh, and it says, God of mercy and compassion, look with pity on my pain. Hear a mournful broken spirit prostrate at thy feet complain. Many are my foes and mighty. Strength to conquer, I have none. Nothing can uphold my goings but thy blessed self alone. Savior, look on thy beloved, triumph over all my foes. Turn to heavenly joy my mourning, turn to gladness all my woes. Live or die, or work or suffer, let my weary soul abide. In all changes whatsoever, sure and steadfast by thy side. When temptations fierce assault me, when my enemies I find, Sin and guilt and death and Satan, all against my soul combined. Hold me up in mighty orders. Keep my eyes on things above. Righteousness, divine atonement, peace, and everlasting love. I don't know if you caught that phrase there or not, but hold me up in mighty orders. Uh, very fitting for the uh, experience that they were facing there in the sinking of the Titanic. Fast forward 100 years, 2012. How many of you remember the name Costa Concordia? It's a cruise ship that ran aground off the coast of Italy. And uh, I don't know if you followed the news just recently. Captain, uh, I left my Italian tongue at home here this morning, Francisco Chatinto actually was sentenced um, to 16 years in prison. That was a very large ship, actually probably larger than the Titanic. I think there was 4,000-some souls on that cruise ship, and there was only 32 perished, uh, which we might say, well, that was pretty good. But uh, he's accused of uh, failure of the... This is the article. It says, failure of the Costa Concordia's captain to promptly order an evacuation of the cruise ship was the sole reason that actually only... Actually, that 32 of them did perish. Um, he's accused of causing the January 13, 2012 shipwreck near the Italian island. Uh, in, uh, there he's accused of manslaughter and abandoning the ship before all 4,200 aboard were evacuated. And I don't know if you, one of the survivors gives a testimony that after they had swum to shore, this, the ship, of course, was very close to shore, after they had swum to shore, arrived to shore, there was the captain standing there and hadn't even gotten his feet wet. And uh, he had rather he had some rather bizarre explanations how he had arrived there on shore, and he actually I guess went back on board I think later then. But uh, you know, uh, Captain Smith, contrary to that, uh, he stuck with his ship. He stuck with that Titanic. 
Uh, actually, one of the last uh, heroic acts that he did, he, he placed a child, a small child, into one of the departing lifeboats. And then uh, he was in the water some and swimming, and uh, they had some of the lifeboats had tried to, according to the accounts of survivor, tried to pull him on. He resisted and swam back toward the ship and actually was attempting to climb the ladder to the bridge when waves came and washed him again, and that was the last they saw him. But he said, I'm going back to my ship. That was his responsibility. And that's the captain's responsibility, to, be, to, to remain with the ship, at least until all souls are, are uh, removed. Well, enough of natural maritime illustrations, but uh, I'd like to focus on our captain, Jesus Christ. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. I want to read this, this entire chapter. It's not real lengthy. <clears throat> Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and, ode- and disobedience received a just recompense or reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. For unto the angels hath he not put in in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not all, yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church while I sing praise unto thee. And again I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things he behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. There's, uh, <clears throat> There's seven things here that I like to... Uh, draw your attention to here in uh, relation to Jesus being our captain. You know, in Genesis chapter 2, we see Adam in the garden in an earthly paradise, perfect, God pronounced it good. However, we see the shadow of, of night and sin and darkness and death creeping in upon that picture, that very beautiful picture. And, and, and we see the results of the choices that were made. However, here in Hebrews chapter 2, we see the reverse of that. We see the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, 
and reversing that death march. We no longer have to fear death. We no longer have to fear sin. He is coming as a conqueror over death and sin. So that, that march that Adam took away from God is reversed in the man Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation as we find it referred to here in, in Hebrews chapter 2. First thing I want to notice is that uh, in verses 5 through 8 here in, chapter, in Hebrews chapter 2 is that the man of Calvary, Jesus, is the, is, is the man of God's purpose. God had a purpose. God had a design. And, uh, you know, I had to think about the songwriter. He said, when the waves are over your head, they're actually under his feet. And uh, Jesus here is, 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 is the man that fulfilled God's purposes. And uh, as I mentioned before, he is intimately acquainted with the harbor master. He's intimately acquainted with God. He is the son of God, but yet he was willing to become the son of man so that he could safely bring us into port. So he is... He's, he's God's man. He's, he's the captain. He's the one that has the qualifications. There's another nasty thing in verse 2, or pardon me, in verse 9. Uh, it mentions, it says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. And he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Uh, the admonition here is to keep our eyes on Jesus. Um, we see Jesus. Do we see Jesus? Do we, do we see him working in our lives? Do we see him working in our experiences? Do we see him uh, in, through the experiences of life as we walk and follow Jesus Christ? We need to keep our eyes on, on Jesus. Peter had that problem. You know, when his disciples were crossing over the lake that stormy night, and uh, they were fearful, and they saw one walking on the water, and Peter, they called out to him, and uh, Jesus called out to them, and uh, Peter's. The disciples said, if it's you, Peter said, if it's you, Lord, bid me come to you. And so Peter boldly stepped out of the boat. You know, Peter and his boldness stepped out of the boat and started walking. But you know what happened when he took his eyes off of Jesus? He began to sink and he became fearful. Uh, as we go through the maritime experience of life, on the seas of life, we need to keep our focus on Jesus Christ, our captain. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Our captain is so great that he can actually walk on the water. Now, that's, that's a qualification that not many captains can actually boast. But Jesus certainly can. He can walk on the water. Verse, uh, verse 10 here, the third thing. We clearly have him identified as the captain of our salvation. Uh, for it became him uh, for whom are all things and by whom all, are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Uh, perfect through sufferings. Jesus was perfect in power. Okay, Jesus was perfect in power. He was the Son of God. He was perfect in love. Greater love hath no man that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus did that. Perfect in wisdom. You know, they said never a man talked like this or taught like this. And so he was full of wisdom. But what about suffering? You know, we find that perfected in his going to the cross. Now also he's perfected in the experiences of pain, sorrow, rejection, suffering, and death. I, I'll say, wow, what a captain. I mean, there's not an area that isn't covered. Uh, is he your personal captain this morning? The fourth thing about our captain is in verse 11. You know, it says in verse, uh, For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. That's a, that's a privilege. If Jesus is on board as captain of my vessel this morning, 
He's going to address us as brethren. We're brethren. It's the only way to access the port of glory through Jesus Christ. Have him on board as our captain. And uh, he refers to us as being brethren. Uh, but we need to be sanctified. Is our vessel sanctified this morning? Both he that sanctified and they who are sanctified are of one. Well, the fifth point that I have here is, is the idea of singing again. Notice in verses 12 and 13, I don't know if you caught that or not, saying, I would declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the churches. Well, I sing praises unto thee. You know, singing praises to God is, is part of our experience. We need to do it. Probably need to do it oftener. Uh, I was impressed uh, as I was reading and studying, I came across this. We think of singing and praising to our captain, to God. A Roman noble matron was asked by a visitor to show her jewels, and instead of displaying a catch of dazzling gems and jewelry, she presented to her visitor her three sons. She said, these are my jewels, and they are his, referring to her husband. Behold, I and the children which God has given me, we sing praises to our master. As I thought about that, I thought in the illustration here in verses 12 and 3, Notice verse 13, and again I will put my trust in him, trust in God, trust in Jesus. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me, we are God's jewels that he's presenting to his father. Just as that noble Roman woman had brought her three sons out, God is, is looking for gems of the sea. And you and I are his gems if we have uh, been sanctified and we have him as our captain. Are we indeed the captain's jewels? Notice verse uh, the sixth point here. The sixth capability of our captain is in verses 14 through 16. It mentions, For then us the children are partakers of flesh and blood. And it's talking about you know, the natural, physical life that takes place. You know, the little baby that's born, it has the genetics of the parents. It has the flesh and blood of the parents. And it says, he also himself, talking to Jesus, took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He's saying that we were locked into bondage because of that death experience in the Garden of Eden. There was no way out. But Jesus said he's providing a channel, an avenue through which we can be brought past that Experience. We can be released from bondage in that experience. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. The seventh qualification of our captain is in verses 17 and 18. And it, it highlights the experience. Wherefore in all things he, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, like unto you and me, like unto humankind. Experience second to none. It mentions him as being merciful, faithful, and uh, he knows the Father's laws. He will indeed bring us safely into harbor if we allow him to indeed be the captain of our vessel as we sail the seas of life. Well, conclusion, what lies ahead for me and you Prairie Mennonite Church, you may think of us as a little vessel here this morning. You know, the disciples, they were a small nucleus of 
believers walking with him, talking with him, sharing with him. You know, what lies ahead? I, I don't know for sure what lies ahead. Is there, are there storms on the sea? Are there icebergs as were in the case of the Titanic? Um, may there be difficult harbors to dock into perhaps? But what I want to give you this morning is, is the key to navigating all those experiences is the captain, is in the captain himself. And that's Jesus Christ. Uh, my responsibility is to meditate the Word of God, read the Word of God, pray. I don't know if that stood out to you or not, but you know, that was Jesus there in, in, in uh, Mark chapter 14, singing fellowshipping, praying was a part of it. We need to pray, we need to meditate, we need to read the Word of God, we need to fellowship, we need to worship, and allow God's Spirit to lead us. And uh, we don't need to fear those icebergs. We don't need to fear those uh, storms that we may encounter as we sail the seas of life. Because our captain is certainly a very, very capable captain to see us through unto the end. You know, it's uh, just another interesting detail on the Titanic you know, they, they said that the, one of the uh, lookouts had, had tried to uh, alert uh, First Officer Murdoch uh, several times on the phone or the uh, communication channel that they had at that time of impending uh, risk of seeing something ahead, and he was somewhat tardy in, in uh, answering the, his lookout's uh, call. Again, like all tragedies, there's investigation panels and discussions, but uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But uh, we do know that our captain is, is, is second to none, and uh, we need to be uh, trusting of him to see us through to the end of life. May that be where our anchor is.